making the world a better place, right? There's always a need to do more than just like anything for me personally, and that's leveling the planting field. So those that have been historically underrepresented and under-resourced have a place where we can grow safely and freely and, and thrive together. So that's a big part of it. And th there's a big shift that's happening. We're providing space and agency and uplifting uh, folks that have been historically uh, underrepresented in the agricultural land. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. We talk about farming all the time, obviously, on Farm to Table Talk, but I want to go back and focus on urban farming today, which is a little different critter than some I've been talking about lately. Um, and I'm happy to have a, a bona fide urban farmer with me today. I want to welcome Nelson Hawkins, and Nelson has We Grow Urban Farm. Hey, Nelson, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thanks, Roger. I'm glad, glad to be here. Hey, you know, let's let's start off with definitions. Yes. Most people could guess when I say it's an urban farm, it must mean that it's a farm in the city. So does it go any further than that? Is that the best way to talk about it, is farming in the city? Yes, I feel like generally people associate it with like, I mean, speaking as, perf you know, from my, my experience, my perspective is like, I think like city, I see sidewalks, I see you know, urban environment, I see a lot of like roads, a lot of density of people. Um, I've explored this definition quite a lot in, you know, different circles. And it really depends, you know, if, if uh, some, some people would define it in a density, a dense population of like 50,000, which is small for, you know, some cities in, in America. But then you go to other regions in the world and sometimes it's like 2000, like a small town be growing in the city uh next to buildings and you know you have the association of like being where there's a lot of people living close together um but there is a little bit of like gray area on, on how you define or how people view it yeah well you know what i've talked to some people recently that were concerned about the lack of farm ground and and that's sure is a concern yeah. uh, in some areas where people need a couple thousand acres to grow things uh they bring up uh china investing and other you know foreign countries and large corporations and so forth when you start talking about urban farm then all of a sudden you can go through a city or go through an urban area if you see an empty space you could probably look at it and say that could be a farm <laughs> is that well, right <laughs> yeah i i personally do for sure um and that i'm glad you bring that up because there is uh a there is this um, dynamic that happens, I would say, in, in urban environments where there's more competitive land uses for these these vacant lots. Like I see vacant lots, I'm like, oh, we can grow a lot of food for people that need it right here, that live right here, right? And there's more. There's of course more that comes to like the politics of of actually getting the ground cultivated in urban environments. Um, but yeah, there, there's other people that look at that same space and be like. Oh, I could build a house here and I could develop this or I could have a store or I could do a soccer field or, you know, there's, there's so much more, um, interest, different competing interests and in how that land can be used. Whereas in rural environments where there's not as many people, 
uh, I don't feel like it's as intense, but it does happen because developers are like, oh, I can just put up a shopping mall here and, you know, that's right. It happens as well, but I feel like the intensity of the, how competitive land use is, Mm -hmm. especially the value of the, of the land as well, the price of it um, becomes a a factor as well. Yeah. You know, when I talk to people that are interested in developing urban farms like you, when I go buy a strip mall being developed now, I just think, oh my gosh, why are they doing that? Don't we have enough strip malls? That's what I'm saying. Especially when you've got, you can go, you know, less than a mile away from there and there's a strip mall vacant and occupying. You can just walk away from an empty one. Then they'll take a lot that could feed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe thousands, and instead stick up another strip mall. Right. Right. And then if nobody, if no businesses come in or if it's not a popular place for customers, then it's just like ends up being an empty parking lot. I mean, you could do like occupy. There, there's creative ways that you could grow food, but you compact the soil. You can't go back to like fertile ground. It's so heartbreaking when it's like class one, class two soil, like really productive soil that's taken, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years to like get fertile, whether with human activity or just naturally. And then it just gets compacted. They scrape the topsoil and then sell whatever they do with it. Yeah, it's such a heartbreak to, to witness that um, and the inefficiencies that come with land use. You know what I mean? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about your journey, but where's this start? I mean, I got a feeling that you didn't grow up on an urban farm. There must have no. been some point in time that you were doing something else and it occurred to you, wait a minute, I want to get involved here. So tell me about that journey. How how did you get to where you are today? And we're about to talk about urban farming. Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing that up. Do you want the short version or the long version? Well, <laughs> we don't want to go more than a half an hour on the whole thing. So uh, so what, what do you call a few minutes? Got you. Got you. Okay. Um, yeah. So just to see like my personal journey, I didn't come from a farming background in general, just farming overall. Um, but right in, in my my original passion was being a skateboarder. Like I, I was pursuing being a professional skateboarder. I was sponsored. I did competitions and stuff like that. Um, but then my dreams kind of got crushed by these youngsters, you know, showing me up. Um, so I shifted like what, at, at, you know, at that juncture when you're about to graduate high school, you know, and you really figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I asked myself, what do I love doing? Where where would I be fulfilled? No matter not the money or whatever whatever the reason is, but what would I be fulfilled? I love working outside. I love being around plants and animals. I love being I love nature. Right, those are the values that I held. Um, and what made that that initial shift for me was around that same time, uh, my mother actually got diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And that really opened my eyes about like what we put into our bodies that can cause cancer and then what we can also put into our bodies that can help fight cancer. So I really got into, uh, I went down the rabbit hole of like the industrial agriculture and the destructive practices and how exploitative and extractive that form of agriculture was. And I'm like, wow, I'm very ignorant about how my, what, how my food is produced, like what I'm eating on a regular basis. And it made me more mindful of like making conscious choices and really understanding how food is produced. And so the other rabbit hole I went down was, okay, I reject that. That's not the that that's not the way that I want my food to be produced. And I want to learn how to grow ecologically, how to grow organically and, and regeneratively. You know, I didn't know about regenerative and those type of 
words and practices at that time. Um, but I got into like permaculture, I got introduced to. And so I really went down the, the rap cause I, I didn't come from a farming background. So I, like, I was just like trying to get as much experience as I could never worked on a farm, those type of things, um, you know, gardening here and there, but to keep it short, um, I, uh, in my, when I was at community college, I started taking agriculture classes. I started interning, volunteering and working on any organic farm that was in the, in the area. Uh, I grew up in Auburn. So at that time, you know, the foothills, whatever farm was available, just so I can get experience. And I would do it for just for the organic food. I would sometimes just volunteer just to, you know, get paid in organic food because it was pricey, especially at that time. And so that that's how my original shift in my transfer, transformation happened. At least that's what I can kind of draw back to. Um, and then I really pursued the education and then also the experience. And I was able to um, transfer to UC Davis Sustainable Ag and Food Systems program that was just starting at that time. And then I ended up graduating in 2017 and minoring in ecology. So I really wanted to get the scientific, technical aspects of how we can use ecology, uh, ecological approaches to growing food. And that's evidence in the farm that I, that I started. So um, I know we're recording on audio, but as you can see here on, on my Zoom screen, um, this is actually year one at an urban farm. And so when, when I, when I graduated, e even before that, like when I first made the shift to go into agriculture, my plan was always to start a farm business, right? But I wanted to get the business skills. I want to get the ecological, the cultivation practice, knowing about irrigation, pest management, all these things, um, growing organically, of course, and ecologically, and really um, staying true to those values. Um, but, and then when I graduated, I didn't have the financial resources to actually start or the access to land. And, and I was blessed to have a connection with the Center for Land-Based Learning. Um, farm. They have a, many different yeah. programs in the area. One is, you know, their farm academy and another is their incubator program to help young farmers and beginning farmers in general uh, kind of get their feet wet and get, get started in, in the business of farming without like handholding. Right. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of the experience and knowledge from that of production and kind of like the the some of the business and economic side of farming in my schooling. So I didn't have to like go through their their farm academy, and I had an opportunity right when I graduated to go into their incubator program on this plot in West Sacramento that was vacant at that time, and there. Um, so I didn't I didn't want to pass up that opportunity. My plan was to just get a job, save up to cut, to cover the startup costs, to get the farm going. And then, and then, you know, seek out land that I could start the farm business on. Um, but I didn't want to pass up this opportunity. So what I did was I did a crowdfunding campaign to just get the startup costs uh, covered. And so if you go on my website, the way that I describe it is I had the vision of the farm and I planted that vision seed and then I called upon the community of friends, family, anybody online that got, you know, connection with the crowdfunding campaign uh, to to nourish and water that that vision seed with financial resources so that it could sprout. And it was very minimal startup costs. We started on a quarter acre. And um, as you can see here, this is our first year. 
right here in in the neighborhood. Like it's as urban as it can get. Some some urban farms are kind of periphery, but this is like in the neighborhood, right across the street from a school, adjacent to low income housing, and then just you know surrounded by residential uh, homes. And that's how we got started in 2018 through through that program. And I'm very grateful for the Center for Land Based Learning for that for that opportunity. Wow, that's great. And then let me. Yeah. Let, let me do a shout out for Center for Land-Based Learning because I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, I've talked okay. to some other people before that have been involved with the, with the program, and it's just, uh, it's just a really good program. And I've seen some other folks that have gotten started as a result of being in, involved with them as well. The other thing I wanted to observe that you mentioned at the beginning, uh, that's sad to hear your mother had a health issue, but you know, it's come up before in my conversations of people that wanted to get into food and agriculture, that they had some experience with someone close to them or themselves that had a health issue. And it made them start investigating the role that the food, healthy food you produce can be food as medicine, more or less. Yeah. And it, it pulled them into this area. So it's it's interesting to hear that you had that as well. You know, I wish all these things could happen without anybody having bad experiences, but but still, that leads them to thinking of what the potential can be in agriculture of producing food that can really make a difference, and how health is connected to what we're putting into our bodies. Yes, absolutely. I think it's very powerful, and I notice a shift happening in the market, and in kind of on. At least I would like to believe that. Maybe I'm a little bit stuck in my niche, but um. But yeah, I feel like a lot more people now than when I started are, are becoming aware of the kind of those issues with how food is produced and, and wanting to make a difference because I feel like the consumer is the consumer definitely plays a role in like signaling to the suppliers, you know, what they want to, uh, you know, what, what the demand is for them to meet that demand. And so if 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 a majority of people are aware of some of these issues. You know, a lot of people just are not aware. You know, people are just like, it's so out of sight, out of mind. And this this a larger kind of problem just touch on briefly is like how disconnected people are from their food system. Because like, especially the city rural divide, you know, supposed to divide. And I'm guilty of it too. That's why I was like, I was like, I'm really ignorant and I need to start learning more about this. And I was disconnected from it. But like, I feel like with, you know, more information out there, people are, are, are becoming aware and, and want to make that shift happen. Um, even if it's in their own personal lives or the backyards, you know. Well, you know, one of the other things, too, is just the, the scale of being getting started, because there's a lot of people that think they want to do farming and agriculture. But they think there's just no way forward unless they were inheriting the farm or come back into a family farm situation or, frankly, sometimes have some, some wealth because it takes a lot of money. If you were trying to create a commercial scale agriculture and it's somewhat more industrial, but that's you know, people that need to have at least a couple thousand acres of wheat, or they have to have at least uh, 10,000 hogs or something like that. Right. And, yeah. and as far as a point of entry, the fact that you can make an income, bring an income in off of sometimes less than an acre. And I've been, I'm shocked sometimes of how much can come from a half an acre of land. And, yeah. and, and, and tell me that, I mean, you graduated from UC Davis. You studied these things. You've seen the large scale, and you've seen how hard it is for people to get into what's typical more of commercialized agriculture. And then you, if you size up a relatively small, something less than an, an acre, 
how do you pencil that out that you've got enough crops that can bring in some income? Yeah, that's I'm still figuring it out. It's not easy. Yeah, the, the business of farming is not easy. And that's not something that I that motivated me to get started. But I learned the hard way that you really have to prioritize that to be able to do it long term. And just to answer your question, a couple of factors come to mind. Depends on like your production model and what resources you have, like tools, equipment you have available to you to make it efficient. That's a, that's a huge part. And then also is like your market, of course. Like if you're able to get retail prices, farmers market, like you're going to get um, more of your food dollar that way than, than wholesale. So when you're talking about thousands of acres of wheat or, or processing tomatoes and those type of things, like those are more wholesale markets in it, you know, economically that's a whole complexity there but um it's really on economy of scale right like they they might only break even on a certain hundreds of acres and then they need a thousand of acres at that wholesale price but they're able to like you know go straight to to their to their uh supply to their um customer um and, and then and then for our our model is like really direct marketing direct farm marketing directly to the, to the customer through our farm stand through CSA um, distribution and then like restaurants and those type of things. So diversification is, is kind of how we were able to win quote, quote unquote, or how we were able to gain success over time and some traction. Um, and then just to piggy, uh, just to circle back to the production side of things. If you have um, the capacity and the tools and maybe like labor resources as well, like some help, you can really fine tune production to be able to produce a lot more in a small space. So growing vertically and intercropping and getting as much crop and harvesting out of the same space, you know, that's not going to be practical on a hundred acres or a thousand acres. So there are some trade-offs and there are some benefits on a smaller scale. Um, the trade, the, the down, the drawbacks on, on our scale is if we have an order that's that we can't fulfill or they, uh, we need, 200 pounds or 500 pounds of tomatoes. I'm like, well, if I had known ahead of time, maybe I could have planned for that. And, but in addition to that, it's, it's just like, we're not able to, to get the quantities that can meet some, some of these markets, especially like uh, schools, um, other, other like food distribution programs, food hubs. So if they're able to aggregate from other farmers, then we can kind of, you know, fit in our niche there. But there are, there are trade-offs that come with it. I think overall, just the business of farming, like there's so much of a slim margin overall that a lot of people that that don't, and that myself included, until I started uh, getting deep into it, um, don't realize like how difficult it is to to um, you know one make a living from it, especially at this scale, because you know we're not necessarily there yet because we still have, you know I still have to get like other income sources to, to cover my living expenses and my family. Uh, and in addition to that, it's like, if you're able to get retail prices per unit, then you're more likely to, to um, get to your, you know, financial goals. If you, I, I, you know, I talked to, I talked to a farmer uh, yeah. that was telling me that he just thinks going forward, everyone's going to have some combination of incomes to make things work. And yeah. that, you know, you used to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a carpenter, I'm a salesman, I'm a farmer, you know, and whatever you did, you just, you know, that was your, that was the thing you focused on. But the reality is for many people today, they do 
a number of different things. They may have an off-farm job. They've got some other sources of income. They're 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 being creative with whatever they're able to farm, but they're putting several different things together. Uh, in my experience, that there's quite a bit of that among uh, among urban farmers because it's yeah. it's it's not easy for people to say they make a traditional income and perhaps raise a family and try to put the kids through school and whatever else on just a single source anymore. Right. Yeah, that, that's a great point, um, especially the way that the economy is like right now, right now. Um, and, and it's like there, there's a lot of people that claim, you know, oh, I can make a hundred thousand. I make a hundred thousand dollars on a quarter acre, a tenth of an acre. And I like to see like the real numbers on that. I mean, that may be like revenue and maybe like they're, you know, not they make it seem like profit. Right. But there are claims out there and and it depends on the model. People doing microgreens or like short succession, like uh, high value, like spinach and lettuce and those type of things. I mean, the potential is there. You know, there's so many different factors uh, when it comes to uh, production models. And, you know, for me, I feel like urban farming, uh, a value that that many urban farmers hold is to provide food access to those that otherwise don't have access. So. you know, like for us, we're very community driven in our space right here and making sure that folks that may not have access to organic vegetables and fruits and or fresh fruits and vegetables and produce overall um, have access. And we, we work closely with with the community here. So that doesn't always translate to profits, um, yeah. but that's part of our values and, and what our what our model is, because we uphold those values. Well, you know what? And beyond even the food that you're producing or the income you're producing, you're kind of pulling the community together. I mean, it's it's uh, it complements any community to see you know, an acre here, an acre there that is a farming operation. And a lot of times different people can get involved. I mean, they can purchase the product, they see it grown, they learn about it. But you might be able to use somebody helping out on a part time basis and, and things like that. So you're yep. contributing in a whole lot of different ways other than uh, strictly your income. Absolutely. And that, that val- yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's like that that needs to be um, said more and, and, and expressed more in, in value because there's so much value that you, that you can't translate to dollars, right? Like community members, youth that come out, like that's, that's a space for them to connect and taste like what real food tastes like. And also to, to be exposed to how food is produced if they're not otherwise you know connected with it um so yeah definitely appreciate that well now there's another stage of your own evolution with this farming operation that you had you have your own farm but then you've emerged into a really collective is a wujama farmer collective you connected with someone else yeah so part of it is when i want to um go back to the kind of like origins of it, of, of the Ujama Farmer Collective. Um, I, I was a part of uh, the CDFA BIPOC Advisory Committee from 2021 and 2022. And a group of us came together to build on a vision to provide land access, uh, farmer training programs and housing for historically underserved farmers of color and prioritizing black farmers in, in, in our uh, demographic, right? And at that same time, I was facing it in my farm right here, my urban farm, they're actually uh, going to be developing uh, housing there. So we're actually losing that. 
And that experience motivated me to really work on land access and do advocacy and policy work. Um, and I've done that on the National Farmers Coalition on, on a, on a, for the Farm Bill at that same time. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because we, we advocated for um, state funding to acquire land specifically to launch um, a program which now has become the Ujamaa Farmer Collective. And we've been, de- we've been developing the uh, nonprofit and the organization side of things um, this year, right? But it, it's been a couple years in, 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 in motion just to get the funding to be able to acquire land. And so um, not just because of my personal experience, but this is happening with my, with my farm being developed and all the work that we put into the soil and the community there and such a heartbreak that that is happening, although affordable housing is needed in that community. So I'm glad that that, that is the outcome, at least in our situation versus anything else. Um, but this is also something that's help, happening all over the country um, in urban and rural environments where, you know, farmland is being developed. And we talked about this early on in this conversation of, of you know, the heartbreak that comes with that and you can't go back. Um, and there's so many layers of, of uh, issues that, that, that come with, you know, developing farmland. But, you know, to bring it back to the point, um, not only what's going on with, with We Grow Urban Farm and um, many others that are part of our collective are in a similar situation. So although we started out as urban farmers, we're shifting to, to be able to connect the bridge between urban and rural, and we're going to acquire sizable acres so that we can scale up and make a living from it. And we can show the next generation and, and, and the existing farmers that have um, you know, similar land security uh, challenges to be able to have long-term access to land. And, and then we can create a, a, a cooperative economic model where we share tools, share equipment, and also share infrastructure so that we can reduce the cost burden on everybody collectively. And since we'll all be on the same land as farmers, naturally, normally what I've observed, like farmers are really generous and share ideas and share skills with each other. And the fact that we're all going to be on one space together is going to, it's going to facilitate that happening even more so that we can be resilient but we still have an economic base that each farmer has their own business and we can help each other uh, thrive so on your on your website uh yeah. you identify that you want to ensure uh, secure land tenure and equitable access resources for historically underserved farmers of color you're defining an, another role too. I mean, what we've talked about up to now is something that you were interested in personally. You were motivated by feeling a need of what you could produce healthy foods and you getting the farming. You've gone through it, you've gone through the training and so forth. And now this is a broadening mission too. It's not just yeah. not just farming. Can you explain that? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's um, you know, for me personally, I have a passion to, you know. Not to be all, um, I don't know what the right word is, but making making the world a better place, right? Just to keep it kind of uh, simple overall. So there's always a need to do more than just like anything for me personally. And that's reflected in the values that I pulled personally and then also with our urban farm and then extended to the work that we're doing with the Jama Farmer Collective is really leveling the planting field. So those that have been historically... Um, underrepresented, un- under-resourced, 
have a place where we can grow safely and freely and, and thrive together. So that's a big part of it. And th there's a big shift that's happening. It, and just to go to like the underserved, historically underserved and socially disadvantaged farmers, like that term is like a political term that goes, that was defined, you know, there, there's the USDA definition, but there's also the state definition that came about through the uh, Farmer Equity Act of 2017. Now, the Farmer Equity Act of 2017 really codified and created agency for uh, specific racial groups and gender identities that have had um, land-based oppression in California and um, uh, created agency through um, providing uh, more upliftment and more uh, representation in grants and, and particularly in the CDFA um, to create an equity office. And then that's what created the BIPOC advisory committee that myself and many others were a part of. So just to kind of like go back to the progression of like where these terms come from and like what they, what they really mean, because they can get kind of wonky with like political jargon. Um, but, but ulti ultimately we're providing space and agency and uplifting uh, folks that have been historically uh, underrepresented in the agricultural land. So, so are you able then to tap into uh, to grants and uh, some federal or state programs that can give you assistance in getting getting these up and running? Um, yes, yes, yeah. And and the reason I brought I wanted to bring up the and thank you for for uh, reminding me to the Farmer Equity Act. Uh, one outcome that I've noticed is that a lot of grants now. Um, after the Farm Equity Act require like a certain percentage to go to BIPOC producers, right? Like it's a requirement and that's becoming a norm. And we see that in, you know, also reflected in, you know, federal grants. So we we do have a grant writer for Ujama Farmer Collective that's assisting us with, um, you know, seeking out and then, you know, uh, doing applications and RFQs, RFAs and stuff like that. So yeah, th they're becoming more known, especially as, you know the advocacy and the in the in the policy um, works and the and efforts are becoming more prominent. We are seeing more of a shift on the on on the governmental and you know kind of funding uh, related aspects of this work. You know you're engaging on so many different levels. It's it's inspiring to step up. I mean it's it's tempting to just figure out how one can you know make a living and just you know focus on this. But you're also helping others and you're helping the segment and you're helping show people the way. And I think you're uniquely uh, suited to be able to do that because you've gone through all of this. I mean, you've uh, you developed the interest, you studied it, you took courses in college, you've been in Center for Land-Based Learning, and then all of the places that can help, like the Department of Agriculture, like the California Department of Agriculture, uh, the Farm Bureau, the other organizations, you know them, you've gotten involved. And so, you know, I, I want to congratulate you, Nelson, because I think you're in a, in a unique spot to offer leadership. And in fact, uh, you have opportunities to speak and you're going to be at Eco Farm coming up and there'll be like over a thousand people in that big barn I've been in before at Eco Farm. And, and I, I assume uh, you'll be sharing this story 
And yes. when you're in an audience like that, or even this audience, where I've got some some of the people listening to this podcast are going to say, that's interesting. I want to go that direction, too. Has anything surprised you of the questions that come up to you after you speak? Or, or are there any? What do you anticipate, having been down these roads before, when you get to EcoFarm? Or if, if we were having an open chat with the people listening to this podcast, what do you often hear from people after they've heard your story? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I want to say mostly people are inspired to be involved. People yeah. want to be. And, and, that's, and I feel like that's such a huge part of like what motivates me is because I'm not just doing it for me, but I'm doing it for the next generation. And we need, just like me, not having a connection with farmers and I, I, you know, wasn't even, it was the, it wasn't even on my radar to be a farmer, but yeah. as I saw other people doing it, I could be like, okay, I can do that too. And the more people that I got connected with in, in the agricultural community, especially that were interested in ecological approaches to, to farming and growing food and in, in other agricultural products, it really was like, oh, okay. It, I, I could see myself doing that too. So like not just wearing the hat for myself and being a farmer, but also, Others that may not even have an interest to be like, oh, that I see the value in that. I see the importance of that. Oh, I want to do that too. Like making farming sexy again, right? <laughs> it's like you got to really, uh, it's, it's not easy work. So um, you, you got to really show folks the pathway. And and so a lot of people don't know where to start. Like me, I didn't know where to start. I just try to get experience. And and so um, the short answer I would say is, you know, people being inspired to get involved uh, wherever they're at. I'm inspired. I'm inspired. I mean, I see uh, what you're doing, and I think it's I think it's great, and I think you can help a lot of people. The yeah, the tricky yeah. part for me is I don't like to work that hard. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I like That's I like talk, I like talking about work, and right. um, you know, and I, I like I like farmers. But right. when you see pictures of like your farms, I think. Oh, wait a minute here. There may right. be weeds that have to be pulled. There may have to be some, you know, harvesting. You may have to get up at three o'clock in the morning and figure out what you're taking to the farmer's market. And right. I'm I'm just not that good of a worker. I mean, I feel bad about it, sort of. But at least I figure one way I can help is I can talk to you and, yeah. and share it. And we can talk to some some others. And and it's uh it's a great thing. So let me ask you if you know, you shared your journey and where you are with the Farmer Collective and where yes. what's happening with these these broader programs. What will make you feel the best about the next five years? If we were able to put on the calendar right now, we're going to get together again uh, yes. and look back and say, gee, what's happened? What, yes. what are you a little optimistic about or hopeful about of how things change over these next several years? Yeah, man. Um, I'm very excited to get in the land work, not just for you know my farm, but for the collective to start developing, getting more of the infrastructure on our land. And um, we've gotten a lot of, of, of attention and positive publicity so far, really just pitching our, our, um, our concept and our vision as we're developing everything, you know, simultaneously. And the win, the 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 victory of successfully advocating for 1.25 million dollars through uh, in district request, you know, got a you know send my flowers to 
Assemblymember Aguiar Curry and Senator Bill Dodd for championing that for us and uh, the community for, sorry, the Capsule Community Alliance with Family Farmers for helping guide us in that advocacy effort because that's what's really getting us attention, right? But that sounds like a lot of money, but that's just for land. Like right now, we're actually uh, launching, doing a soft launch today of our capital campaign to be able to cover the funds to really build this out over the next few years. So what I remain hopeful is the attention that we're getting that can translate into tangible uh, resources for the farmers. And then in the next five years, I want to see five to 10, um, uh, uh, you know, new farmers that we don't know and some that we do know uh, on the land. And then also getting aspiring farmers and interested farmers and, 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 and people in our local community and beyond to connect with our programs and then really get connected with the land and, and, um, diving into the pathways that we're creating to get from, oh, I'm interested, I want to become a part of this, to now you're running your own farm business and we're supporting you. So someday somebody listening to this is going to drive through their town and instead of seeing a new strip mall going up, there might be a farm there instead of a strip mall. And they'll think back, gee, I think I got that idea back when Nelson was on Farm to Table Talk. (laughs) So, Nelson, uh, tell people how they can uh, tap into some of these organizations where they can look for more information about what we've talked about today. Yes, um, I would say overall, tap in with us on our website, ujamafarmacollective.com. That's U-J-A-M-A-A-F-A-R-M-E-R-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E.com. I feel like I'm in a spelling bee, <laughs> but since this is audio, I wanted to put that out there. Um, and then we do have a form on on our website to contact us and, and get information and, and to connect with us as well. Um, and I would say that's like the main way um, to connect. Well, and you're coming up on things like Eagle Farm uh, yeah. up and some others and other ways that they can connect and hear, hear the story. And maybe somebody's going to get inspired just like you got inspired taking another step or two up the hill and uh, i appreciate what you're doing a great deal i want to remind people too that like our conversation stays alive evergreen on farm to table talk.com we have a whole list of hundreds of podcasts including some others uh, of organizations you mentioned that people can go online and look for other stories in our archives at at farm to table talk.com share it with others Yes. And yeah. I hope that I know some people that will be listening to this will be sharing it with their list too. So I'm hoping you'll hear from some more folks. And I'm just happy to hear what you're doing and appreciate it. Congratulations and keep up the good work. And and Nelson, thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. The pleasure's all mine. And thank you for uh, spending the time and spreading our message. And I look forward to connecting further. been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 